The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From Spirituality and Health Magazine, I'm Rabbi Rami, and this is the Spirituality and Health Podcast. Our guest today, Tao Lin, is an American novelist, poet, essayist, short story writer, and artist. He's published numerous novels, a novella, two books of poetry, a collection of short stories, and a memoir, as well as an extensive assortment of online content. His newest novel is called Leave Society, and a review of the book appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. Tao Lin, welcome to Essential Conversations. Yeah, thank you for having me, and thanks for reading my book. It's not a short book, so I appreciate it. <laughs> well, yeah, it's not really, an, it's, it's not a long book, I didn't think it, and the, the, you know, it moves quick, and the characters are engaging, and it triggered a lot of questions in my head that weren't about the book. I'm not going to ask you, um, you know, like fanboy questions about about the plot and stuff like that. I'm, I'm looking for more general philosophical things mm. that the book made me think of. And hopefully they will spark something in you so that we can have a conversation about them. And one of the first things that the reader of the new novel, Leave Society, learns about the protagonist, Lee, is that he's meeting with a medical doctor while he's on LSD. And I know, because I uh, read it, in your 2018 book, Trip, LSD also plays a role. So I'm just curious, before we get into the, the new book, what's the connection? Yeah, my use of LSD, it's, it comes out of, at, before in the past, I used a lot of pharmaceutical drugs like Adderall and Xanax and opiates and in a self-destructive way. And I sort of reached a bottom with all that, with being addicted to those drugs. And then at some point, I turned towards natural drugs like cannabis and psilocybin. And LSD is semi-natural and it's also a psychedelic and I've just found these drugs, these natural drugs and psychedelics, much more sustainable and less toxic and less addicting. So at the beginning of the novel, the character is on a, on a quarter tab of LSD, which is kind of like microdosing. If you've heard of microdosing, yeah. 
Yeah, Michael Pollan's books are, are you know promote that. Yeah, yeah, and on that dose, you can function pretty well. And for me, it on that dose, it just makes me more of a outgoing, more normal, happier person. Because otherwise, I'm pretty glum and kind of autistic and just not that social. So it helps on a therapeutic level. Have you done more than microdosing and, and had uh, some kind of spiritual experience on LSD? Yeah. Yeah, I've had bigger doses. I haven't had such a big dose that I had just like a spiritual experience where I lost my sense of ego on LSD, but I have on psilocybin and DMT. But I don't do that often at all. Like I haven't used a dose bigger than microdosing in probably like five years because hmm. it's kind of destabilizing to me to have a big psychedelic experience where I lose my sense of myself. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, that, I think that's sort of the point of, of the, the psychedelic experience is to lose that narrow sense of self and, and try to awake to something larger. In, in the novel, Taoism plays a role. In fact, you even have a, a chapter in, in Leaf Society uh, uh, called that. And as I'm reading, I mean, just the notion, just the title, Leave Society, I mean, that could mean so many different things. But I read the book just after, I just finished reading this article in the New York Times about something in China that I can't say it in Chinese, but in English, it translates as lie flat. Mm. And uh, have you heard of this? Yeah, I heard of this. My friend sent, told me about this. He told me that someone had come out with a song about lying flat, the positives of lying flat, how you can't fall down if you're lying flat, and that the government had banned it. I never read the article, so maybe you can tell me more about it. So the, the idea is, is that this is a, a counterculture, an act of counterculture resistance to the work ethic that dominates contemporary China. And a lot of youth are saying, look, I'm just going to, you know, step out of this. I'm going to leave society and, and not get caught up in that, that lifestyle of constantly working in order to make money, in order to buy more stuff. The the author of the piece in the Times, her name is Elsie Chen. She says that to lie flat, and I'm just going to quote from the article. She says to lie flat means to forego marriage, not have children, stay unemployed, and eschew material wants such as a house or a car. It's the opposite, she writes, of what China's leaders have asked of their people. And that's why it's so controversial is they, they're looking for people to be very, you know, to, to, to raise their lifestyle and to, to want to have things and that will get them, you know, working. In her article, she doesn't connect it to anything in Chinese culture. But when I read the article and then read Leave Society, it seemed to me, and I just want to get your take on this. You don't have to have read the article. I'm just curious. It seemed to me that the Chinese communist work ethic sounds very Confucian to me. You know, you have this obligation and you're trying to always better yourself within your, your status in the society, whereas this lie flat 
or what Lee does in uh, Leave Society, it's very Taoist, especially the Taoism of Chuangzi, which is about, you know, just what we might call um, like Timothy Leary to go back to the LSD thing, turn on, tune in and drop out. It's a very laid back way of being in the world. And like I mentioned earlier, you have a chapter in the book called Taoism. And I'm just wondering if you see, if, if let me ask it this way. I'm wondering if you're attracted to Taoism as a philosophy. And then the follow-up question would be, if you have uh, friends or connections in China and they're aware of this and do they see Taoism as part of this lie flat or lie flat as part of Taoism? I don't know anyone in China at all. And the only people in Taiwan where my parents live that I talk to are my parents. But I like that you made the connection between Taoism and the lying flat thing. And it is interesting that the author of the article didn't mention Taoism because Taoism is the indigenous religion of China, I've learned. And I mostly was attracted to it because it promotes nature so much. Mm -hmm. It seems to be one of the only major religions that center nature in its worldview. And I see connections between it and the lying flat thing. Yeah, because Taoism, it's ideal, at least in the Tao Te Ching, is for people to live in villages and to not have knowledge of the outside world and to just live simple lives. And you mentioned how communist China promotes everyone getting a job and having a strong work ethic and all that. I would say that it's not just communist China, but the whole global culture that promotes that. And in my novel, the title Leave Society, it's more specifically promoting the idea of leaving that global culture where nature is really belittled and materialist goals are put at the forefront. So I like the lying flat thing. And I think they could look into Taoism as a earlier philosophy that's similar to theirs. Yeah, it would seem to me that, like you said, Taoism being an indigenous religious tradition within China, mm-hmm. and, and also from what I understand in uh, in Taiwan, mm-hmm. uh, there's Taoism is has a strong presence in Taiwan, perhaps more strong than in China, where it's probably you know, suppressed because it doesn't really help the, the Chinese cause, uh, the, the communist cause at all. Mm. So I, if I were to pick a religion from scratch, you know, just if I was born without anything and had no uh, background and I just studied the world's religions, which one would I choose? I think I would choose Taoism. Mm. In fact, I was uh, asked just recently you know, one of those questions, like if you're on a desert island, what's the one book you would like to be stranded with? And mm. the first thing that popped into my mind was the Tao Te Ching. Mm. So I, I'm inter- interested in Taoism. I love that aspect of your novel. And 
So I want to ask you one more question, then I'm going to stop talking about this. In the novel, you t- you tell us that Lee is, and the word you use is deformed. Mm. So I'm going to let you describe what you had in mind when you say that Lee is deformed. Lee is the protagonist, if people didn't catch that earlier, that Lee is deformed. I'm going to let you describe that in a second. Mm-hmm. But just to stick with this Taoist theme for a second, as soon as I read that, I stopped and I had to go look up something that Chuangzi, who's uh, you know, Lao Tzu being the founder of Taoism in a sense, Chuangzi being uh, the next greatest philosopher of Taoism. Mm-hmm. And he oftentimes presents his philosophy through parable. Mm-hmm. And Chuangzi has this story, maybe you've heard this story, but Chuangzi has a story in which um, he's with his friend Hui Tzu, who mm-hmm. complains about having this big deformed tree on his property that he can't sell. And Huizu says, the trunk is so distorted, so full of knots, no one can get a straight plank out of it. The branches are so crooked, you can't cut them up in any way that makes sense. So there it just stands beside the road. No carpenter will even look at it. I can't make any money off of it. That's a quote from one of the translations of of Chuangzi. But Chuangzi tells us, because the tree is deformed and has no monetary value, the tree, all the other trees around it being more straight and easily turned into planks for, for a building, they're all cut down. But because this deformed tree is useless, it lives this this ancient it's an ancient tree. It just lives on and on and on. So I'm wondering, and and maybe I've misread this completely, but it seemed to me that that the Chuangzi's deformed tree speaks to, or let me ask you this way: How might Chuangzi's deformed tree speak to your no, your notion of uh, Lee being deformed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lee is deformed. In one way, the main way he's deformed is he has this chest deformity where his chest is sunken because he just didn't get enough nutrients or something. So his chest, when growing up, it didn't expand to the normal size so that it sort of flattens his heart and lungs. And while you were saying all that, I I imagine that Lee could have been like the tree if he was in a time of war and the government was like recruiting people to go fight somewhere. They probably pass on Lee because of his deformity because he gets out of breath really fast and he just looks pretty weak. But but in the novel, there isn't anything like that. I don't think like. There's well, no, not, not, ex- you, yeah, I, I realize that not explicitly, but I'm just wondering in your head when you think about it now mm-hmm. and, and what Chuangzi is trying to say is that besides the obvious, the deformed tree lives longer than all the rest, but that there's a value in, in being deformed. Nature isn't only, you know, you were saying that Taoism, you, one of the reasons you liked it was Taoism is centered in nature, but nature isn't only quote unquote, perfect trees, because what's perfect is what the society can make money off of, that nature includes the deformed and maybe honors the deformed in some way that those of us who really 
are absorbed in the society miss out on. Yeah, I can see that. But also there's other aspects to it because even though Lee has this chest deformity, society can still use them in the same way it can use anyone else as a consumer and just as a participant in the whole materialist push and just to help buy stuff and participate in politics and corporations. So in that sense, even though he has a deformity, he's still being used by society, I feel like. So no escape, which makes the notion of leaving society all the more radical, I suppose. Mm, mm, Yeah, it's something deliberate you have to do, I feel like, because no matter how deformed as a person you are, you're still going to be in the in society when you're born. I guess if you're you're really deformed, like in the book, I write about severe autism, and they could be said to be deformed mentally, and they're so deformed that society has no use for them. But still, it's not an enviable position. Sure. Want to fearlessly explore your creative spirit? Join artist Susie K. Edwards for Path of the Butterfly, a weekend workshop at Omega Institute's beautiful campus in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Experiment with a variety of art forms, engage in mindfulness, walking, and silent meditation, and discover a new and free-flowing creative vision. This workshop is for beginners and professional artists. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's extreme on the autism scale, I guess. But Lee isn't anything like that. I mean, he's capable of not only agency that he can do it, what he wants, but he's capable of making this leap um, out of, out of the, the norm uh, into which he was born. Uh, but I want to I want to change directions for a second, mm-hmm. and because there are just things that that I, that's because I read both Trip and Leave Society mm. that just sort of struck me, and one of them is that in both books you reference the philosopher Terence McKenna, mm. and I know I was supposed to know that name. I had to look it up, <laughs> so. Uh, I, it just didn't, it, it didn't flash in front of me when I saw it in Trip or, or in Leaf Society. But when I saw it again in Leaf Society, I went back and looked at Trip, and then I said, okay, so who is this? And I did a little research on it, but tell us a little bit about Terrence McKenna and how his teaching informs your thinking and your, your writing. I don't think you should have recognized him because oh. <laughs> I, I had never heard of him until 2012 when I was like 29 and then somehow I heard of him I think oh I heard of him on Joe Rogan's podcast and at that time I was had reached a bottom with pharmaceutical drugs and was also had a really bleak worldview I just felt that life was meaningless and I couldn't find any compelling arguments for why to feel good about life. And then I encountered Terrence McKenna and he promoted natural drugs a lot, psychedelics. 
And he also promoted nature a lot. And he's partly who got me more into Taoism. I had read some Taoist stuff in college and found it interesting and attractive, but then I lost touch with it. But then as I was trying to get away from pharmaceutical drugs in a bleak worldview, I encountered Terence McKenna. And I feel like the main thing that he inspired me to do was try to figure out the world independently instead of getting other people's opinion on it. And he led me to read a lot of nonfiction books. And then in Leave Society, I include a lot of my research. Did you notice the nonfiction that I included? Yeah, yeah, it it made it. Made it I mean, I, I'm not normally a fiction reader. I like nonfiction. Mm. That's mostly what I read. Mm. So it made... It, it made the book richer for me because, oh, wait, this is, <laughs> I feel more comfortable reading, reading the, the nonfiction stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I absolutely picked up on that. Um, so, so this, and it's also interesting and we don't have to go into it, but to bring real life people into the novel that way, I thought is, yeah. is just sort of a nice little uh, plot twist or something, you know, just, just the way of, of, of doing it. So, Again, I want to turn to something. There was a phrase in the book, and I, I didn't write down where in the book it is. I guess wrote down the phrase itself. But you write, you have you you coined this phrase, going beyond instead of away. Mm. And I want to unpack that with you a little bit. What what I have got got a bunch of questions about it, but let me not take you off on my side track, my my side trails here. What, what do you have in mind when you say going beyond instead of away? Hmm. When I first got really disillusioned with my life and then I had this psilocybin trip, I took a big dose of psilocybin and that combined with listening to a lot of Terrence McKenna made me during the trip have this idea that I should leave society, leave the life I had in New York City where I was really depressed. And then at that point, I realized that I didn't know what I would leave towards. So that's when I started researching a lot and finding nature as something that I could leave towards being really urban and detached from nature. So I started to think that I wasn't leaving society. I was more just going past this layer of society that I was surrounded by to reach this other place where I could work on or just where I could find communities that were outside what I call in the book dominator society. So when I read it, I mean, I read it at a funny time because um, I, I was reading the book and, and my mom had just had a stroke and yeah. she's doing fine now. But at the time, as I'm reading the book and got a phone call from my sister that my mother had a stroke, it looked like she could die. Yeah. 
And my sister said to me, you know, when, and I'm sort of quoting her, but paraphrasing her, when she dies, my sister said, we'll have to deal with the fact that she's gone away. And I've just read going beyond instead of away. And I realized that that's wrong. That not what you wrote, but what my sister said. That when we think of a way, we think of, you know, we're at point A and we're going to leave A and go to B. Mm -hmm. But, and that's, and that's going away. But when you, when I read going beyond, I thought of going to a wider place that includes A and B and C and D and E and all the rest of it. That this beyond is a, an infinite, ultimately, I would say an infinite carrier or space that holds all existence. I mean, I'm turning it into a theological thing here, and that may not be what you intended, but the greater beyond includes where we happen to be. So, and this, again, is a stretch, and you can say, no, I don't know what you're talking about. But I think this fits with what you just said. When Lee leaves, or when anyone leaves society, if you could actually leave, you can leave the society of New York, for example, uh-huh. <clears throat> which was really uh, detrimental to your well-being. You can uh-huh. leave New York. But going beyond is what I understood was happening when you, when you went into nature, when you found the larger field of nature, which includes Manhattan. I mean, you can't separate these things. So that this whole leave society is not so binary, leaving X to get to Y. It's more leaving the narrowness of society to see the larger society, the natural world in which we live. Not that you stated it this way, but that seemed to me the the trajectory of the novel, that you were, at the end, I felt you pointed me in a direction, not of leaving A to get to B, but a direction of expanding beyond A to experience this this greater beyond, going beyond instead of away. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Yeah, I like that interpretation a lot. How it's like, instead of leaving somewhere to go somewhere else, it's more like expanding your contacts. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. you were talking about how you thought of death like that, I think. And I also, in the book, sort of promote a view of death where maybe when we die, we just enter a much bigger context where we still have access to this world, but we also have access to other things. What do you think about death? So I, I think something similar. I think death is going beyond and not away. Mm-hmm. But... I'm not sure about, well, because I don't think there's an A and a B, there's no break between this life and some other life. It's all uh, seamless. There may be some connection, like you said, between this world and the next. So I I guess see the whole thing as a seamless phenomenon. The the analogy I prefer is like a wave in the ocean. So Mm -hmm. you and I are waves, but all waves are simply the ocean waving. And that when I die, the form of the Rami wave dissipates, but the oceanic nature that was that wave 
remains. The beyond, to me, is having the wave realize it's also the ocean. And that, to me, is the ultimate leaving of society with, with, with its narrow definitions of who I am. And, and taking leave of that and going uh, beyond that to realize my truer nature, which is the whole, the Tao, the, you know, the, the infinite or, or nature uh, herself. So that, that's, that's what I think happens when you die. You just, your form goes and you, you, bec- you become what you already are, uh, this greater reality that is happening is everything. Yeah. Yeah. And the ocean is so much deeper than just the surface. Yeah. Yeah. But we, yeah. we live on the surface. We identify with the surface and the society, uh, sort of insists on us being on the surface, which to go full circle and then to bring this conversation to a close, which seems to me what this whole lying flat idea is. It's that I'm, I'm trying to, to take refuge in the beyond, in this greater beyond and, and live more deeply, even though I'm lying flat, but living more deeply than the society with its obsession with the surface world and all of its possessions and things uh, allows us to do. Yeah, I like lying flat in terms of that. It could be like a first step from from just detaching from the surface, and then once you're lying flat, you could go into more spiritual stuff. I feel like. Yeah, I mean, now now we're making this up. Well, we're <laughs> I'm always making stuff up, but yeah. if you think about it, uh, when you're in the ocean. If you're struggling in the ocean, you mm-hmm. drown. But if you lie flat, in a sense, if you relax, and then you discover the ocean will will support you. Mm. Um, so, so that that's another element of your going beyond instead of away in the context of this larger phenomenon in in China and maybe in Taiwan. I don't know uh, of of lying flat. But we are going to have to leave it there, <laughs> which is too bad because I, I, I really enjoyed talking to you, Tao Lin. Mm, yeah. So our guest today is Tao Lin. He's the author of his, or his new novel. He's the author of num- numerous books and po- of poetry and fiction. Uh, but Tao Lin is the author of Leave Home. And a review of the novel appears in the July-August issue of Spirituality and Health magazine. You can learn more about Tao Lin's work at his website, taolin.us so taolin thank you so much for talking with us yeah thank you for having me i'm glad we got to talk about taoism and the mind flat well you're welcome thank you you've been listening to the spirituality and health podcast if you like this episode please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share us on social media and tag us at Spirit Health Mag. You can also follow me on the Spirituality and Health website, where I write a regular column called Roadside Musings. Don't forget to subscribe to the print magazine as well. The Spirituality and Health podcast is produced by Ezra Baker Truppiano, and our executive producer is Mallory Corbin. I'm Rabbi Rami. Thanks for listening.
Since 1977, Omega Institute in New York's beautiful Hudson Valley has hosted some of the best spiritual teachers and social visionaries, sharing their messages of hope, healing, and transformation. On the Dropping In podcast, hosted by Emmy Award-winning producer Callie Alpert, you will enjoy in-depth interviews and conversations with people like Pema Chodron, Jack Kornfield, John Kabat-Zinn, and many others on the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Also, check out the video series on Spotify. Spotify.